Welcome to Word Connect with Pastor Maxwell Ogaga, a teaching ministry where believers are trained to be established in the truth of God's Word. For more information and free downloads, please visit www.thepastormax.ng. Let's get into the Word. Father, thank you because I'm anointed to teach. Thank you because your people are anointed to receive and together faith is built up. In the knowledge of Jesus. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Okay, so we, we started this conversation in the first meeting and we're going to continue on it. We're looking today at patterns from the life of Jesus. Doing ministry like Jesus did it. Now, it is important for us to understand why we have role models and mentors in life, in the natural life. We must never forget that our ultimate model in ministry is Jesus. We must never forget that. Because sometimes we can be so carried away by the mentors we follow that we, we, we are not careful. We can copy some things that are not even of God because our mentors and our spiritual fathers are doing them. I want to say very clearly here that no matter who your mentor, your pastor, or your spiritual father is, that person can be wrong. And we need to be clear on that. That person can be wrong. So Paul says, follow me as I follow what? Christ. Or imitate me as I imitate what? Christ. So it means that if this is Timothy and this is Paul, then Christ is here. So Christ is the ultimate model. So, it is safe to follow Paul as much as Paul is following what? Christ. Am I right? Yeah. It's safe to follow Paul as Paul is following Christ. That means that even you who is following Paul needs to know how Christ is. Because if you don't know how Christ is, you will not even know when Paul has stopped following Christ. So that means that every minister, the first assignment of every minister is to be acquainted with the person of Jesus. That's your first assignment. Because how are you going to preach Jesus to people when you don't know him? So your first priority in ministry is acquaintance with Jesus. Your first priority in ministry is not the design of your ministry. It's not the logo. It's not the name. It's not the vision statement. It's knowing the man Jesus. Having fellowship with the man Jesus. Catching a revelation of the man Jesus. And after that, you are now free and released by the Lord to dispense the knowledge of his truth. Praise the name of the Lord Jesus. Okay, so we're going to look at six things. I'm trusting we can finish. They are very simple but very foundational to our truth. uh, Effectiveness in ministry. The older I get, I'm not very old, but... The older I get, the more I realize that true, true effectiveness in ministry is just keeping to the basics. If you want to be effective in ministry, stick to the basics and do them consistently. Who is a professional? A professional is a master of the basics. What are the basics of church, for instance? Prayer, teaching the word, visitation, soul winning. Those four are the basics. Any church that consistently engages on these basics very strongly will keep growing. Looking after members, fellowshiping fellowshiping with them, calling them, checking on them, praying for them, teaching the word. Are you following what I'm saying? Also, in your spiritual life as a minister, you have to make sure that you are keeping at the basics. You're, you're, you're you're 
you're not getting too busy not to keep at the basics. You see, you can become a minister and have a prayerless life. Because everything else in ministry is taking your time. You have to visit, you have to check, you have to make sure things are going on. Praise God. Alright, so, number one, Jesus spent time in private prayers. Jesus spent time in private prayers. Jesus regularly spent time in prayer and in studying the scriptures. Especially during the periods of intense activity. He prayed regularly. He prayed regularly. Private prayer time. Mark 1.35. Mark chapter 1 and verse 35. Mark chapter 1 and verse 35. Jesus spent a lot of time in private prayers. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went to a secluded place and was praying there. Sometimes as pastors, we can be very vocal and loud during public prayers. When you have the microphone in your mouth and when you're on stage and the lights are on you, it's easy to pray hard. But we find that, that in doing ministry, Jesus had a private prayer life. Well, we can assume that if the Bible says while it was still dark, we can assume it's about 4 a.m. thereabouts. The Bible says he left the house and went to a secluded place and was praying. And I ask people this all the time. What was Jesus praying for? Number one, he didn't have a wife, so his wife was not you know, a disturbance to him, his ministry. He didn't have a child. So what was Jesus praying for? He wasn't building an auditorium and the phones were shot. So what was Jesus praying for? Because sometimes, and I, I really want to clear that up today, sometimes as ministers, we can spend a lot of our prayer time praying for our ministry, but not fellowshipping with God. So every time we kneel down, we're either praying for church growth, for open door, for money. You, do you understand what I'm saying? We're always going to the presence of the Father, asking for something for our ministry, but we're not really going to minister to the Lord or to fellowship before the Lord. The Bible says, Why they ministered before the Lord in prayers and fasting? The Lord said, Separate unto me Paul and Barnabas for the work that I have for them. They didn't go there asking for the assignment or the vision. It's not every time a pastor kneels down that he needs to present his needs before the Lord. Sometimes you spend time just fellowshipping with the Father. Just, just you know, getting to hear the mind of the Father. Getting filled with the presence of the Father. Getting saturated with wisdom from the feet of Jesus. So Jesus had a private prayer time. Matthew chapter 14 and verse 23. And this prayer time... Um, didn't have to do with anybody going with him. Matthew chapter 14 and verse 23. After he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. So, we must have times as ministers of the gospel where we pray by ourselves. And when it was evening, he was there alone. So, 
what does this actually tell us? This actually tells us that Jesus spent long time praying alone. Are you still with me? Are you still with me? Your private prayer life is the engine block of your ministry. Private prayer life. The enemy will keep you from praying. The enemy will do everything to keep you from praying. He will do everything. He will make your sleep sweeter. When it's time to pray. How many of you have experienced that? You tell yourself, man, I'm going to pray at 4.30. And when it's 4.30 or 4.15, the sleep gets sweeter. And then you tell yourself, don't worry, 5.30, final answer. And when it's 5.30, I just say 6 o'clock. Say, I will do it at night. Let me just tidy up what I have to do. <laughs> and what do you do? What do, you do? You realize at the end of the day, you haven't prayed. You can actually go as a pastor with days without praying if you're not disciplined. And the enemy is happy at that. Glory to God. I said glory to God. So Jesus went away by himself on the mountain. He went to pray. Daily, I see the need for a prayer lifestyle for the minister. Many things. Many things in ministry will happen. Have you read recently of pastors who are committing suicide? Have you read that on the news? And some people are born, how can a pastor commit suicide? <laughs> a pastor can commit suicide. Anybody can commit suicide. Do you realize that Elijah prayed that God should kill him? Is that not suicidal prayer? Suicidal prayer. That's prayer of suicide. But he wanted God to commit the suicide for him. He wanted to do it himself. Ministry can frustrate you. You have a vision from God. You have a word from God. You will go to the nations of the earth. You will preach around the world. Your voice will be held around the world. And you call for a meeting. Only you, your wife. And three children. And your eldest child, who has a bit of sense, really does not want to come. You can see from his face that he doesn't want to be in that meeting. He's just sitting looking at you. When he says, are you people with me? He will shake his head. I'm not with you. <laughs> or you get married to a wife. And they ask, is he how is pastor? Or how is ministry? He say his church is fine. Are you, you're going to have those frustrations. What can keep you in the midst of the frustrations of ministry is the time you spend with Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on, I said hallelujah. So Jesus had a private prayer time. And this private prayer time was not just a short prayer. We can find from this place, the Bible says, He went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. He left the disciples and went up to pray. A pastor must have a private prayer time. Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. And verse 46. Mark chapter 6 and verse 46. How did Jesus do ministry? He did ministry by having times of private prayers. Mark 6, 46. After bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. Can we read from the, from the 45th verse, verse 45? Mark chapter 4, verse 45. 
Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boats and go ahead of him to the other side of Bethsaida, while he himself was sending the crowd away. Now, have you realized something? Have you realized something in these scriptures that, we read, that we're reading? After dealing with the crowd, what was Jesus' response? Come on now. What was Jesus' response? He went to pray. Have you realized every time he sends the multitudes away, what does he do? He goes to pray. He didn't take pictures to upload on Facebook. You sustain ministry to the crowd by prayers. And as I began to study this, something came to my heart. It's not something I've been doing before, but the Lord began to teach me from as I began to prepare for this meeting. I think pastors should spend more time praying after service they should spend time praying before service, but it's also not out of place to spend as much time praying after service. I realized that Jesus prayed a lot when he has sent the people away. And I was thinking like, why would Jesus pray so much after sending the people away? My mind quickly went to the parable of the sower. That as the people were leaving, a lot of things are going to come after the word. Are you following this? You finish teaching a powerful message on Sunday, that's the best time to get into prayer. Because you know what's going to happen? As the people leave your church, troubles will start. Some of them will get angry on the road. The enemy has stolen that word for Sunday. Some of them, that's when they will hear news that their father is dead, their mother is dead. Things will just go away. And I realize, wow, we need to... We need to pray for the people. After the Sunday meeting, we go before. There's nothing bad after Sunday meeting. Spending one more hour praying for the people. I see. Why would Jesus pray when the you know? Come on. What is our default position after we have sent the crowd away? Man, I'm tired. This is preaching. I need to rest. But I see that that was not how Jesus did ministry. Jesus did not finish ministering to the crowd and rested. He finished ministering to the crowd and went back to pray. That's how Jesus did ministry. And why did he go back to pray? It's because he was guarding the seed of the word that has been planted. And now, this tells me sometimes why we preach to people every Sunday and it looks like they are not being changed. Because like, we preach the word this Sunday, the enemy takes it from their heart. Preach the word the next Sunday, the enemy takes it from their heart. Preach it the third Sunday, the enemy takes it from their heart. It will profit us more if we finish preaching on Sunday and we arrest that word in their heart by what? By prayer. And say, Lord, every word that these people have heard today, we, we just pray over the word. Prayer is the engine block of our ministry. Tell your neighbor that. Say, prayer is the engine block. Of our ministry. Without it, you know, you can have a beautiful car, very gorgeous car, that when people are, you know, a car in such a way that it's so beautiful that when people are walking by, they just want to quickly snap pictures with it. But how many of you know if there are no engines in that car, if there's no engine in that car, it will not move? You cannot have a beautiful ministry. You can have a beautiful ministry, but without prayers, it will not be effective. So Jesus prayed. Mark 26, 36. Mark 26, 36. Mark chapter 26. And verse 
Sorry, 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 sorry. I think I got my scripture wrong there. We, we have done Mark 6 for the 6, right? Yeah, I got my scripture wrong there. Let's go to, we did Matthew 14, 23. Yeah, okay, that, then we did Mark chapter 1, verse 35. That's talking about the private prayer life of Jesus. So one of, what, what, what's one of the key things you, can, you need to do in your life is to schedule times of private prayer. Don't leave it to chance. Don't leave it to when you are led. You will never feel like praying. Have a time in the week, a time in the day, that it is a private prayer. Even if you are married to a pastor, both husband and wives, don't leave your prayer life to just when both of you have time to pray. Schedule a private prayer time with the Lord where you spend time with Jesus. Because in this ministry work, you will need all the supply of the Spirit you can. Praise God. Are you here? You will need what? All the supply of the Spirit that you can. If not, you're going to be so frustrated that when you're preaching from the pulpit, you know, you can be very angry. You can preach an angry message from the pulpit. Out of bitterness. If you want to do ministry effectively, you cannot do it without the Lord sustaining your hand. If not, you're going to be manipulative. You're going to take advantage of people. You're going to do things you thought you'd never do just to make ends meet or get people into the church. But if you spend time with the Father... Then the Lord will begin to pour His Spirit upon you. Why do you... Well, I've not heard anybody close. There are things I've just heard. But I'm very careful not to say things I don't know to be true. But why have you heard sometimes, in recent times, they say, oh, some pastors went to meet Habalist for power. Like I said, I've not, I don't know anybody like that. <laughs> but I've just heard. So I'm just saying what I heard. But why do you think such things... I'm beginning to come forth. It is the frustration that comes with ministry. You can be frustrated. You call for meeting, nobody shows up. You, you, you try to get money to do the work. And the money doesn't show up. And then suggestions will begin to come. Let's do it this way, let's do it this way, let's do it this way, let's do it this way. It takes the Spirit of God for you to be firm in your convictions in ministry. And to keep at it. To say, this is what I know the word says. And I'll stick with it. And those conventions are birthed in the times of private prayers. Primarily, as a minister of the gospel, I am primarily a Bible teacher. That's my primary gift. As a pastor teacher. And, you know... At a point, you know this whole prophecy thing is getting a hold of every... You know, the Lord, in His mercies at certain meetings, have flowed in my life through the gift of the word of knowledge. And I've been able to see things and speak things and speak prophetically over people. But you know, if I don't have the convictions of the grace that God is giving to me, what's going to happen is I will overstretch that gift. Do you understand what I'm saying? Just a little, I know that the gift is in my life functioning a bit. Then what happens is I overstretch it. 
and then I get into a familiar spirit. And that becomes my dominant operation. What will not happen? I'll change the very DNA of my core. Yeah? And begin to function in that office, which the Lord hasn't called me. Now, what happens to me later? The Lord, His grace is not available to me in that office. I will now begin to operate in that office based on my human strength. Then problems will start coming. That's just it. And what is going to bring that pressure? What is going to bring that pressure is simply that if you don't do this, the people will not come. It, it, it now becomes, you know, we want the church to grow. I mean, we, in our, in our church right now, we're getting ready. We're just getting ready for massive growth. But you know, that itself can become a pressure. And that pressure can result in you trying to get things done by your own strength. Listen, getting things done by your own strength in ministry is sin. You know, sometimes when we talk about sin, our mind quickly goes to fornication and adultery. (laughs) For the minister, trying to get things done the way God hasn't asked you to get it done can be sin. He said, the Lord knows what he wants for you. He knows why he called you. Like I tell every minister I'm privileged to talk to, there is a plan for you. And the Lord has helped us to show that if we stick to the word and stick to the area of our calling, we can grow. (laughs) People can come. Hallelujah. So Jesus spent private time in prayer. That's one of the things we see So the life of a minister, you must spend private time. Not spending time in the mountain and snapping your pictures and putting it on Facebook and say, I'm in the mountain, I'm praying for you. That's not private time. We live in a, a, you know, I was with a a minister in Lagos when we went for a Lagos outreach. He came to visit me. And we were sharing. And he said, uh, I shared a few things with him we were doing and some of the things the Lord has helped us to do. And he said, you see, you are doing a lot. But many people don't know. And, and, and he said, you are too conservative. In this generation, you need to put things out there for people to know what you are doing. <laughs> and I said, thank you very much. But that is one advice I will not take. It's not about people knowing what we are doing. It's about doing what the Lord has asked us to do. And the Lord knowing what we are doing. If the Lord knows what we are doing, that is sufficient. Are you following what I'm saying? That is sufficient. You must, before you set out in ministry, define what success is to you. If not, the world will keep changing the parameters of success. We keep changing the, the standards of success. And you will be pursuing what you yourself don't even know. Like Tunde Bakai will say, you'll be looking for what is not lost. So Jesus spent private time in prayers. Have we gotten that? Okay, have we gotten that? Say amen if we have. Number two, Jesus spent time teaching. Jesus spent time teaching. Luke 21. We're looking at doing ministry like Jesus did. Luke 21 and verse 37. Luke chapter 21 and verse 37. Luke 21, 37. Now, during the day, he was teaching in the temple. 
But at evening he would go out and spend the night on the mount that is called Olivet. So you see how Jesus was doing his time, right? Teaching and spending time praying. So Jesus was teaching. I want you to emphasize that because today we see, which there's nothing wrong with it, but we see a lot of emphasis on miracles. But the truth of the matter is that the, the, the foundation of Jesus' ministry was built on teaching. Jesus taught, he healed, he performed miracles, but I know if I talk about the ministry of Jesus in, in the miraculous, it's not, it's not strange to every one of us, we understand that. But there is a bit of de-emphasis on the other aspect of his ministry, which was the fact that Jesus spent a whole lot of time teaching people, explaining the Bible to people. In fact, you were not qualified to be an elder in the church if you, were, if you did not have the ability to teach because primarily, coming together as a church is for us to also understand the scriptures. So Jesus spent time teaching. Luke 19.47. Luke 19.47. We find that Jesus spent time teaching. Luke chapter 19 and verse 47. And he was teaching daily in the temple. Can you see that? Come on, can we see that? It means that every day Jesus was teaching. But we did not, we cannot see sometimes where he performed miracles every day. Now, I'm not against miracles. I'm just trying to show you an aspect of Jesus' ministry that we've not really paid so much attention to. That means Jesus had a daily teaching schedule. Look at this. And he was teaching daily in the temple. That means Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, like that, he was teaching. Jesus was teaching. Daily. He had a daily teaching schedule. So it's almost like saying, as a pastor, you've got a group you're teaching every day. I don't know if you, if you get it. You teach on Sunday, then we've got this minister's group. Today is Saturday. Maybe we have another group. We're teaching. That's how the ministry of Jesus was. He was just teaching. Now, the Bible did not tell us how many people came or how many people were there while Jesus was teaching. But he was teaching. You know, sometimes in ministry, your faithfulness is not how many people are coming to listen to you. Your faithfulness is that you're doing the job. You're just teaching. You're just planting the seeds of God's word. You're planting the seeds of God's word. You're teaching, you're teaching, you're teaching. And if, if, if the foundation or one of the things that Jesus did in ministry was to teach consistently, it also means that if we are to be able to function in this dimension of Jesus, it means that we ought to also study consistently. And I want to say it very clearly here. I think there are dimensions of ministry you might not be able to plug into except you're doing full-time ministry. Because you will require time for these two things. I don't know if you get what I'm saying. Come on. I don't know if you get what I'm saying. Or, even if you're working, you have to get the extra discipline because you cannot be teaching daily if you're not studying and spending time with the Lord daily. If not, what are you going to have? You're just going to pull out old sermons. Have you heard pastors teach the same message and over again? Like, I've heard that message before. Uh, hey, but this was not the story he used. He used another story. And I tell you something, right? You know, when I got called into ministry, at the point I told myself, God, what am I going to be teaching? Like, all these great men of God, my father, 
All these guys have taught so much books, volumes. You know, but, I mean, it's been 12 years. And it's, it's more like, I'm feeling like, yes, now is when I really know the scriptures. You know, sometimes I look at the messages I taught way back, I'm like, ah, oh, no, 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 no. In fact, there was a year, I took out all my messages from the internet. Messages I taught like 2.14, 2.15, I was like, no, 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 no. I need to, you know, why? Because the word is coming alive more. I'm understanding the scriptures more. Scriptures are making sense to me more. Praise the name of the Lord. So Jesus spent time teaching. Luke 21. If we want to model the life of Jesus, we must spend time teaching. On one of those days, while he was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribe with the elders confronted him. So you see that Jesus was actually teaching daily in the temple. Even the Bible tells us at one time while he was teaching, the power of God was present to heal. It wasn't like a healing meeting per se, but it was a teaching meeting and the power of God was present to heal. That is why, listen very carefully, if we want to build our churches the way Jesus would build his church, we must train our people to appreciate the teaching ministry. Are you following this? We must, you must train your people to appreciate teachers. Don't, don't just train them to appreciate prophets and preachers and, and, and signs and wonders. Train them to appreciate teaching. And teaching is systematic introduction of the scriptures. That's why sometimes encourage your people to write. So while the teaching is going on, write. Document. One of the things we want to do this year uh, as we go forward in our local church is to have uh, several teaching meetings. In fact, for those of you who attend this local church, you saw that we've, we've had a four-hour Bible seminar coming up on the subject of prosperity. And one of my first thoughts in putting up that meeting was, we're going to have people to attend. But as I began to prepare, and the Lord began to teach me this regarding the teaching ministry of Jesus, how he was teaching daily, right? And the Bible did not record how many people were attending. But the Bible recorded that he was teaching daily. And the Lord just says, pattern after that. Do your teaching meetings. Forget about who... I mean, of course, you want people to come, but I want you to stay faithful to the fact that you're creating enough room to be able to teach the word. Praise God. I said, praise God. You know, sometimes I realize that once you stay faithful, then the Lord will begin to bring the people. But somehow, sometimes we want the people to come and then we stay faithful. No. And so one of the things we're going to be doing, and I encourage every pastor here from other ministry to begin to do, create opportunities to teach your people. Create opportunities for the people to be taught. Are you following what I'm saying? This Saturday, you're free. We're going to spend two hours learning about prayer. Only two people shows up, stay faithful to teach. Spirit of God spoke to me. He says, there is a record of Jesus teaching. There are no records of how many people were in those meetings. Very few times you see crowds and multitudes were gathered. But many times you see that he was teaching daily. Praise God. So Jesus had the habit of teaching. John 7, 14. We're reading a lot of scriptures just to substantiate that fact. So we must build our ministries based on the word. Based on teaching. John 
But when it was now in the midst of the feast, Jesus went up in the temple and began to teach. Verse 15, then the Jews were astonished, saying, how has this man become learned? Having never been educated. They were so amazed. And that is what I'm trying to say. If we want to do ministry like Jesus did it, we must open up ourselves to the teaching ministry. Ministers must learn to study, must learn to read. You know, sometimes we're teaching and, and, and we say, oh, well, this word, the Greek word means this. And then you hear some pastors who laugh at you and say, this is not the age of Greek. It is the age of power. <laughs> it's good. But how many of you realize that miracles never converted anyone? They never did. They never did. Nobody saw miracles like the children of Israel. And nobody disobeyed God like those people. Of course, you know I believe in miracles. I believe 100% in miracles. What I'm trying to say is that people's faith is more strong if it is built on convictions. So that when the trials of life come, they are able to stand. Why do we look at the Greek words of scriptures? It's because, first of all, the scripture was written in Greek. And sometimes, a specific word, for instance... The word prosper has several renderings in the, in the Hebrew. Several renderings. In fact, one of the word prosper means for it to be well with you in your journey. That's one of the meaning of the word. Like I said, for those of you who are coming for that seminar, we're going to look at how the words were used in scripture. It means for it to be well with you. That is why you see the word sometimes people say, may you have a prosperous journey. Have you heard that word? May you have a prosperous journey. It's actually from the Hebrew word when it says prosper. It means uh, may, may, may the journey go well. Now, for instance, if I ask people, modern believers, and say, how many of you are prosperous? What, are you, what do you think we're going to look at? Money. But how many of us have had successful journeys in the last years? It means that you are prosperous in that dimension of prosperity. You, 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 so you see how teaching helps you. Teaching helps you to be able to understand a concept in its full usage. So when I mention prosperity, for instance, you're not just, uh, you're not just looking at one side of it. When I mention prosperity, if you are now properly taught on that word, you'll be able to look at the several dimensions of it. In fact, one of the words prosper means peace. It means to have peace. So what that means is that a man who has money and does not have peace, does not have total prosperity. So this is what teaching does. And you know, we cannot just do this just one Sunday. Let me explain something to you. I'll, I'll, I'll come back here. Do you realize that many times Jesus spoke the parables to people? He just spoke the parables and left it at that. Then when he goes up to the mountain. The Bible says he will begin to explain to his disciples. So he talked about the parable of the sower. If you had asked any, anybody in that crowd. And say. What did Jesus teach to this? man. The man told us one story about the sower. Ah! That sower. The man wasted seeds. Can he just be throwing seeds like that? Now was the man wrong? <laughs> he wasn't wrong. But was that what Jesus meant? No. Then if you ask the disciples, what did Jesus teach today? They will tell you, the seed is the word of God. 
The earth is the ground. The earth that brought forth fruit. I, I, you, you, are you seeing where teaching is now? So, saying the parable is just like preaching. Teaching is giving explanation to the parable. So, for instance, I come to church on Sunday. I say, God is going to prosper you. I know God is going to prosper you. God is going to prosper you this year. And everybody is saying, Amen. That's preaching. It's good. Right. So, how does teaching come in here? What is prosperity? How will God prosper them? When will God prosper them? What are the character they need to have for them to experience the prosperity of God? Are you, are you seeing that? So, teaching is what distills the word and builds doctrine in the believer. So, Jesus spent time teaching. Um, Mark 14, 49. Well, Mark 14, 49. Are we there? Quickly, Mark chapter 14 and verse 49. Every day, look at this word again. Every day, I was with you in the temple teaching. Can you see that? You know, it was while I was studying the ministry of Jesus that this scripture began to come so alive in me. That that Jesus was actually teaching every day. Do you know, I never realized, I knew Jesus taught, but I never knew he was teaching every day. Look at this. It's every day I was with you in the temple teaching. So I believe Jesus was teaching in this temple. This temple, they would drive him out of this temple. He would start teaching here, start teaching here, start teaching. They would drive him here. He would go back here. They would drive him. You know what that tells me? Find expression for your ministry daily. If you are called into ministry, at least one, at least every day, preach to someone. You give someone a ride in your car, preach to them. Every day, give expression to teaching. Give expression to teaching. Create multiple avenues to fulfill your assignment. Don't just wait for Sunday. In fact, this scripture has changed a lot of things in my mind. Don't just wait for Sunday. Create avenues to dispense the word. It is your responsibility. Hallelujah. I said it's your responsibility. Amen. Matthew chapter 4. Thank you Lord Jesus. Matthew chapter 4. And verse 23, we're seeing, doing ministry the way Jesus did. Jesus went, was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. He was teaching. He was teaching, going about teaching. You know, some people say, well, uh, I'm not called to be a teacher. Now, we understand that there is the ministry of the teacher. But we also understand that every five-fold minister is at least supposed to be able to teach. It's required. You cannot be in ministry and not, be, and not know how to teach. Praise God. You cannot be that. So, we see Jesus spent time in private prayers. Jesus spent time teaching. Quality time teaching. Quality time teaching. Number three, Jesus spent time training his called disciples. Discipling his called disciples. Luke 9, 28, quickly. Luke chapter 9 and verse 28. Luke chapter 9 and verse 28. So, some eight days after the saints, he took along Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. So one of the things we find out that although Jesus had 12 disciples, he's got 17 disciples and the multitude who came, Peter, James, and John were people that Jesus took closer 
spent some time with them. He spent time explaining to them. He spent time training them and spent time praying with them. The truth of the matter is that every effective pastor must have a core group of people that he's pouring his life into. You cannot disciple people from a distance. You cannot disciple your whole church. But there must be people you pour time into. For instance, in our local church, I've got those service team people. There are like 10 of them that I selected. And I spent one, uh, where we've changed the schedule now going into this year, I spent two hours with them every month. Two hours every month. Teaching, praying with them. And there are things I teach in that forum I don't teach publicly. There are things I explain in that forum. They are able to work with the individual. Why? Because that's how Jesus did ministry. He did ministry by training the core disciples. And those core disciples, Peter, James, and John, became the people in which the church was built on. See, whether we like it or not, every minister must have a core disciple of people who are loyal to him, loyal to the vision that he's pouring his life into. You cannot decide. There are certain levels of discipleship that cannot happen from afar. And you know the funny thing when you're pastoring a church is that then people say, you know, pastor is close to this set of people. Where I, a pastor should not, have, it should not be like having favorites. You understand what I'm saying? But what I'm trying to say is this. If you don't make yourself available, you cannot be discipled. And that's the challenge of people. People want to be discipled with the pastor, but then they are not available. <laughs> it, this is not Bluetooth. This is not WhatsApp discipleship. They went up to the mountain and spent time praying. Uh, a couple of months ago, our, our church choir had, uh, we had a worship event, and they had an all-night rehearsals. And part of my role in that all-night rehearsals was to pray with them. And I came and said, you know what, we're all going to pray in the spirit for 45 minutes. And I know how it is in all nights where some people will walk very far to say they are praying. And they will go and sleep and come back when it ended. So I just said something very simple. I said, everybody will pray around me here. We'll all be here. And we'll just pray. We're about 20 or so. We're just here and we pray for 45 minutes praying in the spirit. If they were not available, I won't be able to do that. I don't know if you, if you, if you get what I'm saying. You know, Sunday you can come and say, I want all of us to pray in 45 minutes. Pray in the Spirit. Immediately you make that announcement. Some will just sit down. Immediately you make it. Some will just sit down. You yourself, you'll be discouraged. Do you, you think you... You know, in your heart. Because you're also human. Your mind will be telling you, do these people respect me? Or they think I'm playing here. That's when you now start reacting all kinds of things. Don't even look at my age. God, if God can use a donkey, God can use me. Those things are not necessary. But you're already feeling... The heart of somebody not obeying you. I don't know if you, if you get what I'm saying. And you cannot disciple people from that distance. So one of the greatest ways Jesus modeled ministry was to have a group of people that he poured his life into. And if we want to be effective in ministry, we must have those systems in place. Where we disciple people in small groups and small systems. Matthew 17, 1, you see that. Jesus also prioritized people. He spent an amount of time with those who would carry on his ministry. They were the twelve, they were the seventy. And even amongst the twelve, he had the three. Although he spent considerable time with other individuals, this group were those who had his consistent attention. Sometimes we always want to give the crowd our greatest attention. But the crowd is not that that carries the burden of the ministry. 
And I want to say here, listen very carefully to me if you're a pastor. I have grown up in a pastor's house. I've been a pastor for a long while. And I'm going to be a pastor almost like forever. Your ministry will be sustained by probably 20% of the people who come to church. Even in giving, you can have a hundred people. Maybe only 20, 30 people will be consistent givers. That is the truth. And sometimes that's what brings frustration in the heart of pastors. When they count the numbers and the offering and the equation is not balanced. It's like, ah, all of you. Even if, yeah, you now hear things like, even if everybody give one one thousand in this church, we should have a hundred thousand. Do you understand? Like, I mean, do, do you get what I'm trying to say? Do you get what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Let's assume our church is about a hundred and ninety people. Everybody gives a hundred, one thousand every Sunday. So when you start calculating, the mass does not add up like that in ministry. And then the frustration now goes stronger when maybe somebody who came to your ministry, grew up in your ministry, now the Lord has prospered them. You expect that his prosperity should, should, should reflect his gratitude in the ministry. And the man has other plans. So this is not about spending time with people who have money. This is about spending time with people who carry the heart and the DNA of the ministry. Jesus wasn't spending time with Peter, James, and John because they were going to be financiers. You know, sometimes as pastors, we want to spend time with our financial partners. No. It's about spending time with people who, even though they look weak, will be the ones who carry the DNA of the ministry. How many of you know that even this same Peter, what happened? The scripture says he denied Jesus three times. And what did Jesus tell him? When you have overcome, strengthen the brethren. Satan desires to sift you, but I pray for you. So, I want you to get this clear. We're not talking about spending time with those who are zealous. You know, there are people who just come. You just come into the ministry, you know, red tie, red shirt, red... You, you just know that these people want to work for God. Sometimes, the best thing is to calm down, calm down a little. Do you understand? So, I'm saying this because as a pastor, sometimes those are the people you are attracted to. But you realize that the people Jesus was attracted to were not the Pharisees. Were not the scribes. So sometimes, when I say spending time with people, it might even look like the least likely people in the church. But you pour your life into them, knowing that you're raising disciples unto God. Right? So it's not about spending time with people with more money. It's not about spending time with people who look like potential pastors. They are not bad. But I'm just saying that I don't want us to take this message and now develop human criteria for it. You, you get what I'm saying? Maybe a young man just walks into your church, wear dress, you know. When I was young, they used to say, I don't have a pastor's head. Uh, I don't know, you know, then Papayo was raining, so Papayo had this BJ. You know, so everybody was cutting BJ and sharp, sharp table. And they said, I didn't have a pastor's head. So probably, I would not have made the list of those the pastor wanted to spend time with. You get my point? So, there's a way somebody can have an appearance of ministry, an appearance of seriousness, and you just pour your life into them, but there's no substance. And there might be weak people there who don't even look like the least likely. And the Lord begins to tell you, spend time with them, and spend time with them, and spend time with them. And what's going to happen? That's how Jesus did ministry. He spent time with the weak. Who did Jesus reach out to? Tax collectors, fishermen, 
Do you understand? He didn't reach out to those who graduated from the rabbinical school. I'm not saying anything is wrong with that. But our natural tendency is to pick what? The brightest, the sharpest, the richest. Because we feel that they're the ones who are going to be most effective. But most likely, it might not be true. Who did God call to do the third of the work of the New Testament? Saul, who was a murderer. Then he sent him to Barnabas to disciple him. You know, Saul will not make our list of apostles today. When they even wanted to replace Judas, who did they, they gave some criteria. The man who had traveled with us. The man who knows stuff with us. And he did lots. Matthias' name came out. You realize that was the only time his name appeared in the scripture. The only time. Jesus did not make reference to him. The Holy Spirit did not even speak about him. God did not acknowledge him anywhere. His name just appeared the day he was chosen. And that was all. And he would have carried an official title. The one who replaced Judas. And meanwhile, God in his mind has the man who was going to replace Judas. He said, the guy who is going to replace Judas is still killing people. In fact, he's going to supervise the killing of Stephen. And that will be the seed with which. You know, when, 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 when Stephen preached all of that word, that word was seed, I believe, that God used to reach out to, to Saul, who now later became Paul. Praise the name of the Lord. Number four, Jesus established priorities. It is true that Jesus fulfilled everything in his mission statement, but he had a priority. This is clear from many passages in the gospel. After a busy day of healing and casting out demons, people pressed him to stay. But he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom to the other towns, because that is why I was sent. Let's have Luke chapter 4, verse 42, quickly. Luke chapter 4, verse 42. Luke chapter 4, and verse 42. When the day came, Jesus left and went to his scheduled place, and the crowds were searching for him, and came to him, and tried to keep him from going away from there. Can you realize this? He had such a success in that place. And he said, don't go. Stay here. They accepted his ministry. Look at the next verse. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also. For I was sent for this purpose. Very, very important. Jesus was not need driven. He was purpose driven. You know, sometimes people say, don't go where, go where you are celebrated, not where you are tolerated. And I say, well, go wherever the Lord sends you to go. Whether you are celebrated or tolerated, if the Lord says you should go there, you'll be there. Because in ministry, you're not looking for either celebration or toleration. You're looking to fulfill the will of the Father. Because if Jesus had followed these people, he would not have left this city. They said, stay here. He says, no, I have to go to other cities. That is why sometimes you find it difficult that most times pastors find it difficult to leave a successful church to go and start a new work. Because it's hard. It's contrary to the way we feel God leads. How many of you know God took Philip from preaching a revival in Samaria and said go and preach to the eunuch in the desert to go and preach to one man. And you know, if it was today they would say that was a destiny connection. But realize that when Philip finished, he didn't ask for his ID card and he didn't collect his seed. And immediately he finished preaching, the Holy Spirit just took him before he took announcements. <laughs> before he started praying to the man, you know, I left a city revival to come here. This kind of mission is a special mission. We are not here to joke. 
That's the special seed. <laughs> God just took him before he took the announcement. <laughs> are you following what I'm saying? So we go where we are sent. There is a purpose. We must prioritize our purpose. Are you following what I'm saying? We must give priority to our assignment. And sometimes the Lord will lead you in those seasons. Sometimes a season will come, the Lord will say, focus on the local church. Be there on the local church. Sometimes the Lord will say, well, this season, go to other nations. You know, it, it has to be, if we just go by demand, we will be where pleases our flesh the most. So, are, you, are you following what I'm saying? Well, nobody will go where they don't want them. Let's take myself, for example. I really don't need to travel anywhere to be effective in ministry. I mean, I'm, I pastor a church where the people love me. I'm okay here. You know, sometimes when I even, and people don't understand this, but sometimes when I even go out to teach, I spend more money. Because, of course, the logistics of our location, for me to even go anywhere to preach first, I have to fly to Lagos. And that's, you know, some people don't understand that when you put it as a cost. They just feel you are coming from Nigeria. Everywhere in Nigeria is airport, so you can just go. Right? And then you spend one or two days in the hotel. Let's, uh, let's assume it's a day you don't get a flight. You have to spend the hotel, spend the night in Portacourt first. And so sometimes before you're even going out of the country to any foreign mission in Africa, you spend almost a hundred thousand is already gone on logistics. So if you want to look at it from profit and loss, it doesn't make sense. Because if I don't go, that money is here with me and probably I'll get blessed. Are you following what I'm saying? But no, you have to do what God has asked you to do. So Jesus had priorities. And it's very important because we almost do ministry like where we are successful, that is where we have to die. No. There are priorities based on your assignment. You can also see that from Mark chapter 1 verse 36 to 38. So it's important to go where the Lord is asking you to go to do what the Lord is asking you to do. Mark chapter 1, verse 36 to 38. Simon and his companions searched for him and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. He said to them, Let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also. For that is what I came for. Can you see that? The disciple says, Everyone is looking for you. He says, Let's go to other towns. So, Jesus did not do ministry based on where people were looking for him. He did ministry based on where God was sending him. Praise God. You know, most times I joke with my friends. I said, why is it that the Lord does not call us to Africa? (laughs) You know, anybody the Lord is calling to relocate out of this country. It's three countries the Lord is calling them to. Canada, U.S., and London. So sometimes you realize that it is either pounds, sterling, dollars, or euros that is behind those voices. I mean, there are people who are genuinely called to those countries. But why is the Lord not calling us to Congo, to Mali, to Burkina Faso, to Ikikura Guinea, to Rwanda, or Sudan? <laughs> Praise God! <laughs> you know, one day, I was in the office, and my secretary saw a map of Africa. She was like, so you say, ah, this is the continent pastor loves. You know, I was so happy when I heard that. I was very happy. 
I have a very special love for Africa. I was telling a friend of mine when I preached in the U.S. that I, I can't remember when I knelt down and said, oh God, open the door to the U.S. or open doors to Europe. But if I tell you, African countries have been praying for years, especially French-speaking Africa. I've been praying for years that God will open a door for us in those nations. Ivory Coast, Cameroon, and those French-speaking nations. Man, there's such a hunger for the word there. For two reasons. Number one, they were colonized by France. France was not a gospel nation. English nations were colonized by, by uh, Britain, uh, British, so there are a lot of Christian materials. There, there, there are not a lot of Christian materials in French. Are you following what I'm saying? We have access to a lot of Christian books. They don't have that access. So, if you are just French-speaking and French-reading believer, you are already restricted in access to materials. If you like, just go online. There are some books that they don't even have in French at all. I don't know if you... If you so, there, there is already a shortage of knowledge. What I'm trying to say is this. Sometimes, the Lord will put burdens in your heart for strange places. That is when you also recognize the burden of the Lord. Ministry is not convenience. It's an assignment. I must never forget that. Is not convenience. Is what? It's an assignment. One of the devil's primary tactics is to distort our priorities so that ministering to the sea, calling for justice, compassion for the poor takes priority over evangelism. And that's very important. We must not prioritize social works above preaching. It's good to buy school uniform for the poor. It's good to feed the poor. But how many of you know primarily we are sent to do what? To preach the gospel. Even the poor needs to hear the gospel. So we must not do that. Acts chapter 6 verse 4. The apostles prioritized prayer and word above what? Administration. You know, and the Lord gave me that very early in ministry. When we started ministry, we started building. Thank God the Lord brought a wonderful brother and a wonderful team for us that supervised the building and everything. I had very little to do with the building. In fact, I'm not a signatory to the church building account. The building team does that. Because the Lord began to warn me very early that so many ministers, when they begin to get blessed, are now called, caught up in building projects. And they don't spend time with the word and prayer. You see them with, with Kovaro and, and Helmet, climbing with the contractors. No, 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 no. It's not bad. But if you're not careful, the, the enemy will not mind you building upon building and building upon building and building upon building when you leave the word and prayer. And before you realize, your doctrine will start getting less and less because you don't have the time. You've spent time climbing the towers left and right up and down. I have an idea of what's going on in the ministry, but... The details is not. Sometimes they ask me, Pastor, how do you want this place painted? That's not my business. Painted red, painted black, painted green. No, my priority is teaching the word. Are, are you following what I'm saying? I remember early days of our building. Some people came to the office. You know, we were a bit close to us. And I wanted to, us to help them get contract of supplying sand. and something. I'm like, I don't get involved in those things. Because before you know, they built something, the fence... Collapse, and I say, ah, it was the contractor pastor brought that supplied the block. It now becomes a distraction to the work. I, I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. I cannot, because I want to please you by giving you contracts, now go and bring strife to the work. You see, we must pre- preserve the work. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Have you ever seen cases where it's the pastor's wife supplying electrical materials? It's not, I'm not saying it is bad, but it is just, are you, are you hearing what I'm saying? And one day something goes wrong with the light. It's, uh, it's the wire of the pastor's wife bought. 
Then the woman is angry that they're accusing her that she's the one that burns the house. And then quarrel erupts everywhere. When if you have just stayed with the word and prayer, you see, we must do everything to save the body of Christ. Even things that would benefit us, we must learn to waive them so that there will be no cause for offense. Are you following what I'm saying? That's what a minister does. A minister refrains from anything that will cause the sheep to stumble. It's a, it's a tough job. It's, forget about the suits we wear and the camera and the pictures and how daddy God bless you. That's, those ones are 10% of ministry. The real burden of ministry is where the souls of men become so precious to you that you don't want to do anything that will cause them to walk away from the faith as much as you can to live at peace with all men. Praise God. So, um, make sure that 80% of your time is spent on what makes you effective in ministry. Don't spend a lot, and that's why I also tell people, don't, as a pastor, spend more time teaching than counseling. You know, your job as a pastor should not be that the whole church, maybe today is my counseling day, then as all of you are here now, you are waiting for me to be, counsel, to be counseling you. Then I get up in the morning, and number one, you not come. Number two, ah, man, today is fine, 35, how many more people do we have left? 65. No, 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 no. Is counseling good? Yes. But you know what? Spend more time teaching the people so they require less counsel. The greatest counselor is on the inside of them. You cannot counsel a man more accurately than the Holy Ghost will counsel them. So what will I do? I'll spend time teaching you about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I'll spend time teaching you about hearing God's voice. Are you, are you following what I'm saying? And the more I spend time on that, the less you will require my input in certain things. So what you just pass this one, what do you think? I mean, I don't know if you, if you get what I'm saying. You have to spend a greater time on teaching and equipping these people so that they can be strong on their own. Alright. Procrastination can be costly in the, long, in the long run. So it's important not to make it a habit. A minister must not procrastinate studying. Don't procrastinate studying. Hallelujah. Are you still here? Don't procrastinate what? Study till I come. Give attention to reading and to the studying of the word. Give attention to reading. A minister must not procrastinate reading. Don't procrastinate reading. There are books you have to finish. There are materials you have to study. Reading is an important part. You know, sometimes I laugh at pastors who say, eh, I don't really have the grace to read. Nobody has the grace. We all develop the discipline. Nobody was born and then I say, grace to read, grace to read, grace to read. No. We all, we also, are you following what I'm saying? We develop the discipline. And once you develop the discipline, it becomes a habit. Because when people say, I don't have the grace to read, they are not asking, what do you have the grace for? You now realize that they have grace for something else. It's the same thing with prayer. Have you seen people who pray for three hours non-stop? They just pray. They developed it. You know, as a ministry, please, there's nothing against it. I'm just giving an example. As a ministry, you know, we don't do all night. There's nothing against all night. I don't have anything against it. But you know, we don't do all night, right? If we decide that we're going to do an all night next month, <laughs> you know we're going to struggle. Even me, your pastor, will struggle. Because you realize that it's not something we're used to. But do you know ministries that do weekly all night? 
You know, at the point you ask yourself, how do they do it? You now realize that the day they cancel all night, the people cannot sleep. Ah, before the all night now, they go cancel the all night. Before the all night now, they go cancel the all night. You, you, they, their body is used to staying awake. It's not that they have the grace. What happened? They train themselves into it. Listen, in ministry, we can train ourselves into anything we want to become. You can train yourself to become a teacher. Not that you put your office in it of a teacher, but if you study enough and understand something, you can train yourself to do it. So you read, you study, you ask for materials. You, you get books. You go through the scriptures. For instance, I use a lot of Greek words. Get a Greek concordance. When you read something, look at it. What does the Greek word mean? Look at it. Okay, where was this Greek word used in other places in the scriptures? You, 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 that's how you start studying. It's not studying to preach. It's studying to know. Studying for yourself first. Because when you start studying to preach, you realize that your message are people directed. So the day the people do not come to church a lot, you now say, we are going to teach on commitment. <laughs> then when you realize people are not giving, you say, we are going to teach on giving. You see, you are no longer led by the Spirit. You are not led by the people. Praise God. That's why you hear sometimes you say, oh, when pastor preached, he was using me to preach. You know, and I tell people that that's, that's like you are too small a quantity for me to spend my whole night trying to use you to preach. Now, sometimes you can teach a message that affects people, but never be the pastor that people will just know. You know, they finish having a discussion with you, and then on Sunday, the whole message is about that discussion. No. It just shows that in the first place, you didn't have what to teach the people. Praise God. Nobody is important. So, so, nobody is that is so important that they become the subject of our message on a Sunday morning. Jesus must remain the subject of a message every Sunday. Jesus alone is worthy of exaltation. Is worthy of being talked about in the pulpit. Praise God. Okay, let's do this quickly. Jesus equipped others. Mark 3.14 Jesus equipped others. Jesus did not feel that he had to meet all the need himself. Mark 3.14 Throughout his entire ministry, he probably traveled no further than 200 miles from the place he was born. His strategy was not to do all the work himself, but to devote time to equipping others through training, envisioning, and delegation. We should always be asking how we can multiply ministries God has given us by involving others. If we are given a choice between doing something ourselves or teaching someone else to do it, we should go for the latter. The effectiveness of ministry, listen, is not only measured by what is achieved, but also by what, ca- what carries on after that person leaves. And he appointed twelve so that they would be with him and he could send them out to preach. And I want to say this. It might sound a bit hurting. It might sound a bit tough. But it's the truth. Many of our ministries in this our country that are very large ministries would suffer when the founder dies. Because they were built 100 or even 99% on the founders. There are even some that the pastors are not preaching. They have to watch television every Sunday. Because it's only the Jew that is to preach. It's not a big deal. You are a man. You will pass on. Go and read God's general. And the mighty cathedrals some of those God's generals used to preach. Today, some of those cathedrals are museums. We don't learn from church history. My dad is the founder of this ministry. He comes here like once a year. 
Are you following? Do you realize that? Do you realize something? That if my dad passes on today, do you realize it won't even affect the work here? Even some people might not even know. That's the model. That's the model that you follow. A father raises a son and sends him out. And trusts the son to be effective, to raise other fathers and send him. Because the model we're using, and I want to say this because there are a lot of young pastors here, the model we're using in Africa is still based on our concept of leadership. That's why you see that the Anglican Church, for instance, regardless of which Pope, uh, not Pope now, Bishop, <laughs> dies in the Anglican Church or is alive, it does not touch the core of the Anglican Church. That's one mistake the Pentecostals have made, which we must correct. We must never build a ministry around a man. Because when that man goes off, no matter how you want to talk about it, three things are going to be the result. Number one, immediately the man dies, a lot of people are going to break away. Because they will not be able to respect the leadership that is coming because the ministry was built on the gift of that man or the charisma of that man. And number two, you're going to see people now looking for a new charismatic leader. Number three, because God sometimes does not duplicate gifts, you find the next person who takes over from him struggling to fill those shoes because the gifts and the callings of God are different. And so, especially for young pastors here who are just going out to plant a work, don't plant a work in such a way that you're like the Alpha and the Omega. Jesus equipped others. He appointed twelve so that they would be with him and he could send them out to preach. So he could trust them. Are you following what I'm saying? See, we will all make mistakes, but somebody had to trust you. I remember when we started work here, and I needed to travel somewhere. And somebody asked me, so where are you leaving the church? I said, there are, there are people around. And then, then it just now my wife started preaching a lot more. I think it was maybe even one of the brothers in church that preached. He said, how can you do that? <laughs> you know, to me it was strange. You were asking me, how can I do that? Because that's how I was raised. You know, I was raised in such a way that my dad, when my dad was traveling from the church, I was younger. He would just tell one of the brothers in church, just say, oh, you, you are teaching on Sunday. I, I, I've never done it before. Said, Everybody has to start in one place. He says, someone says, oh, it will affect the growth of the church. No, it will not. We think it will affect the growth of the church because that's how we've been raised that a church should be. I don't know if you, if you get what I'm saying. If you have been in this ministry for seven years and been listening to me, and I say, come and teach one Sunday, and you cannot teach, it means I'm a failure. Uh, do you understand what I'm saying? You should, if, if, and then you say, but if you cannot teach anything, go and take any of the old messages, and say what you learned from it. That's what teaching is. Today I'm teaching so, 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 so. You just repeat it. Paul says, commit unto faithful men the same things I have taught you. You don't need to change it. It's the truth. Whatever, and I'll tell you probably, whatever I taught four years ago, a lot of people have forgotten. They will even remember it's my message. Just teach it like your own. Teach the same thing. And are you following what I'm saying? Boy, you see something about the Holy Ghost. Immediately you start teaching. He will start pouring insight into your mind. Praise the name of the Lord. Okay. So Jesus, then number six, Jesus made time for individuals. In the midst of Jesus' busy ministry, he did not let the urgent crowd out. Uh, he did not let the unjustice of the crowd become so much important. He spent time with individuals. The story of the woman with the issue of blood. God is full attention. People who needed to be healed. He spoke to the woman at the Samaritan world. Okay? John 5, 1 to 15. John 5, 1 to 15. John 4, 1 to 42. Jesus took time to minister 
to the woman and the, Samir- the, the woman of Samaria. Listen, no matter how the crowd is, we must spend time to minister to individuals. Every single person that walks into your church is a human being with a destiny. Don't be too busy not to touch individuals. Praise the name of the Lord. Jesus had time for individuals. You can write down John 3, 1 to 21. How many of you remember the story of Zacchaeus? Jesus was going and he saw Zacchaeus in the tree. What did he say? He said, come today for salvation has come into your house. I know we're going to have protocol around us. I know we're going to have big stuff around us. But let's learn to touch people. (laughs) You know, I can't tell you how many people who come to our local church, at the end of the day, you know, their first encounter with probably just meeting me outside there, she said, well, how are you? Just, you don't know how much message that sends into people. Just, you know, just send to people. I mean, someone came the other day and was saying, you know, you greeted me the first time like you have known me all your life. And it's just, you don't know how it is just to... Because of the way we also pastors have been raised and trained, you know, for some of your members, just going to shake their hands, it's like Jesus has touched them. Are you following what I'm saying? Just fellowshipping. And just fellowshipping with people. Just helping people. I remember one Sunday, a, couple, a lady was coming to the church and I was in front, just welcoming people. And then, one, I think something fell from her paws. And there were a lot of, you know, people around. So I just went down, picked it, and gave it to her. She didn't know I was the one that picked it. So when she, she, she was shocked. You know, but... We cannot do ministry and miss out those acts. You cannot understand and say, let protocol come and do it. The man of God cannot bend down. No, don't do that. Don't do that. You see, it is God that exalts. Don't exalt yourself. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And it probably sent a lot of message to people around because I also observed all the other guys. Everybody was just there. And I'm wondering, we must never lose our human compassion for people. No matter how much God uses us. Praise God. So Jesus made time for what? For individuals. So just as much as we want to reach the crowd, we must make time for individuals in ministry. Find out sometimes, myself and my wife, we just observe in the church, somebody's face is not looking bright. We call them up, hey, what's going on? What's happening? You know, make time for people. People are going through a lot. Sometimes people don't tell you their stories you don't know. Just make time for them. Praise God. Lastly, Jesus was not driven by the expectation of others. Lastly, Jesus was not driven by the expectation of others. Everyone had their own agenda for Jesus. His family wanted to slow him down because they were embarrassed by the attention he was attracting. The crowds wanted him to be king. The zealots wanted him to lead a revolution. The Pharisees wanted to shut him up. The sick wanted to be healed. Despite all of these pressures, Jesus did not let the demands from others, even loved ones, control how he spent his time. Nor was he put up by criticism and threats. You can give me quickly Luke chapter 4, verse 42. Luke 4, 42. Luke 4, 42. You know, when we've read that before. When the crowd came, they asked him to preach, uh, to stay, and he said he was going to the other cities to preach. Let's do Mark 3. We've read, don't look before. Let's do Mark 3, 31. Mark 3, 31. 
So terrified. Then his mother and his brothers arrived and standing outside, they sent word to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him and they said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Answering them, he said, Who are my mother and my brothers? Looking about those who were sitting around him, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. Look at verse 35. For whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. You can look at Luke 2. Write that down. Luke 2, 48 to 50. Luke 2, 48 to 50. And then Luke 13, verse 31 to 33. Never let other people pressure you out of the will of God. Jesus never responded to the expectation of others. He was never driven by the expectation of others. He was only driven by the purposes of God. Hallelujah. The Lord has called us into a noble work. And and every pastor must learn this. Learn to obey God. Learn to obey God. When you start out in ministry, people are going to give you all kinds of suggestions, all kinds of things. But learn to obey God. Amen. Let's just pray briefly and then we'll have a few minutes for question and answer. We can be on our feet if you want to. So we pray and say, Father, help us. Oh, Father, we pray. Let's just pray that God will help us. I don't know any area in this teaching today that you have been blessed, that you have been taught. We just pray, Father God, in the name of Jesus, that you would help us to prioritize. You would help us to prioritize. Ratoshka, let's pray. Let's spend some time before the Father. Lift your voice and just pray. Just spend time with the Father based on the things you've heard. Spend time with the Father based on the things you've heard. Thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's have a seat. Uh, our time is past 10. We'll be closing by 12. So what we're going to do, we're just going to make room for questions, okay? And we're all close by 12, but the questions are in the back. Thank you for listening to Word Connect with Pastor Maxwell Ogaga. We encourage you to share this message with your friends and loved ones. For more information and free downloads, please visit www.pastormax.ng. We would like to hear from you. Send us an email. Info at pastormax.ng or you can call 0805-888-7575. God bless you.